Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Welcome to episode 18 of the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm recording this episode outside again, so you will hear my chickens and this angry mama wren who has nested um, close to where I like to sit and has a lot to say about me being out here. So uh, thank you for um, enjoying the background noise <laughs> of my life here in the grove. This Sunday is Litha in the Northern Hemisphere. This is the summer solstice, one of the eight Sabbaths of our solar year. On Litha, the sun reaches its zenith, the peak of its power, its northernmost um, ascent across the ecliptic. For the next several months, the sun will seem hotter as summer intensifies, but the days will actually be growing shorter. Even as the sun grows in power and heat, it is starting to release its rain over the year. This is the time that the ancients talked about the battle between the Oak King and the Holly King. This comes from old Irish lore. The Oak King was said to reign over the warm and summer months, the growing times, and the Holly King would reign over the cold and fallow winter season. These are masculine polarities, and they mirror the feminine polarities of Breed and the Kalyak, or Demeter and Persephone. Everything on Earth is balanced with the shifting power of the opposites light and dark, growth and decay. At the summer solstice, as the Oak King reaches the height of his reign, the Holly King strikes his first blow. In some stories, the Holly King gains the throne at summer solstice, and in others, the battle continues until Samhain when the Holly King is finally victorious. We also have the story of Lu, the shining one, the long-handed one, sun god of the Celts, who dies to journey to the other worlds, where he infuses the dreaming of reality with consciousness, creativity, and choice. Lu was known to be the master of many arts. He was a smith, a swordsman, a harpist, a poet, a historian, a healer, a champion of war. He was capable, strong, and wise. He is a picture of the balanced masculine. Throughout history and mythology, we have stories of these wise, brave, loving, and protective masculine beings. The divine masculine sacrifices himself to ensure that life continues on earth. This is a holographic pattern on this plane of existence. 
this sacrifice of the masculine concept or the masculine energy. The male sperm appears to be consumed by the female egg, pulled in, it disappears, integrated and sacrificed so that life can grow and emerge. The male of the mantis is dispatched by the female at the time of mating. His nutrient-rich head and eyes fortify her body for the task of egg-laying. The males of many species are fierce warrior protectors and willingly sacrifice their health and body and life for the safety of their pack or their flock or their herd. In human culture, the male of our species historically sacrificed himself in war, on the battlefield, in the mines, on the hunt, or on the ships that bring the life-giving fish to shore. More and more in our modern world, women are also embodying these qualities of the protective and providing masculine. Whether this shift is toward greater wholeness, because women are instinctively filling the vacuum created by a lack of whole and balanced men, or because the machine of industry and war requires all of us to sacrifice, I don't know. The modern glorified version of the masculine in the culture of America where I'm from is the hero, the arrogant, aloof, and foolish warrior like Star-Lord or Tony Stark, the Hulk or Batman. These men are deeply traumatized and they channel their rage into vigilante justice or unskillful aggression. Our modern versions of the hero are lacking this balanced and grounded wisdom of the whole and healthy masculine. Over the past several hundred years, men have been amputated from their sensitivity, their emotional intelligence, their love of beauty and depth and poetry. The men of old Europe, my ancestors, loved the Psalms. They loved to paint and to whittle, to knit and tell stories. These softer and more tender masculine arts have been stripped from our fathers and brothers and sons. They have been allowed access only to the arrogance, violence, and anger in their role models of this cultural zeitgeist. I can see that this is shifting in our younger generations. Men and boys are reclaiming their art, their softness, their joy, and their tears. This is a great relief and a beautiful homecoming for the divine masculine who's been so distorted by the dehumanizing required by the military-industrial culture of which we're a part. Men have had to cultivate a numb brutality to endure the horrors of the mines and the factories and the battlefields. They have used alcohol to numb their pain. They have hit and taken and become predators, preying on the gentleness of our children and their partners and the natural world. So much has been destroyed and so much trauma has been experienced as a result of this amputation of the fullness of the divine masculine. In the Egyptian story of Osiris, his brother Seth kills him in anger or vengeance. Osiris' lover and consort Isis tenderly reunites all of the dismembered parts of him so that he can be remade. 
love, devotion, tending, and care can remake the fragmented masculine. In Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, she writes the story of the crescent moon bear. A woman's husband returns from war, and he is so changed by this traumatic experience that he won't eat or sleep or even come into their home. He lives in the forest like an animal. His wife is in anguish. She doesn't know how to help her war-scarred husband, so she consults the local healer, who requires the pure white hair from the throat of the crescent moon bear in order to make a cure. The suffering wife finds the bear high on the mountain and spends many nights building trust and relationship with the fearsome creature until finally she's permitted to take a single white hair from his throat. The wife returns to the healer, proudly displaying her hard-won magical ingredients, and the healer promptly throws it into the fire. Remember, each step you took to climb the mountain and to gain the trust of Bear, use those same skills to heal your husband. Love, devotion, tending, courage, these are the skills that heal, that allow the fragmented masculine to come home to himself. In ancient Babylon, the temples were kept by sacred prostitutes, men returning from battle who had dissociated from their bodies, their conscience, and their tenderness in order to kill, would visit these temple priestesses for sacred intercourse. The priestesses would tend to the brokenheartedness and trauma of the warriors with the balm of their bodies and their sexuality. Once the warriors were restored to their bodies, to their own inner feminine nature, they would return home to their families without the danger of their untended trauma. The solar god of the Western world, Jesus of Nazareth, was also killed by the vengeful and power-hungry masculinity of dogmatic religion. And, like Osiris, his body was lovingly tended by his beloved female companions, until he was magically restored to life. His followers believe that his sacrifice ensures eternal life for all those who devote themselves to him. Just as Osiris' death was thought to bring fertility, and the death of Lu is thought to ripen the grain. The sacrifice of the masculine provides, ensures the survival of the species, and offers hope to those who are left behind. This sacrifice must be balanced by the loving, devoted, and tender feminine. Ideally, this balance would be an inner balance, as well as a culturally integrated wisdom. The masculine sacrifice and feminine nurturing are not divided along the lines of gender or biology. They are forces that operate within us at all times. In the Jungian model of psychology, people who identify as female cultivate an inner masculine identity known as the animus. People who identify as male cultivate an inner feminine force known as the anima. We, have the, we all have the traits of all genders available to us within our psychology and within our body-mind. The forced rupture from certain parts of ourselves is the source of so much trauma and pain and violence. Men have been forcefully ruptured from their anima, 
women have been shamed for acting out of their animus. And for some people, their sense of gender is changing, fluid, and not compartmentalized like it is for others. The culturally prescribed ideas of what is appropriate for a male appearing person or a female appearing person have been formed by Christian values and the needs of war and industry. But this is shifting now. We are reclaiming our sovereignty and our wholeness. We are recognizing the damage that has occurred, the distortions of the masculine and the feminine, and that wholeness is possible. As we examine the aftermath of colonization and the Crusades, we can see the heavy price we've paid for the attempted homogenization of the world. The depth of pain and trauma that we all carry. In many ways, we are all alienated from the tender, devoted feminine as she is expressed in deep sleep and dreaming, connection to the earth, art, poetry, intimacy, As a masculine and solar culture, we've all been asked to amputate our femininity, to sacrifice ourselves as cogs in the wheel of the machine. We must be willing to suffer and die for industry, to ignore the needs of our bodies and the cries of our hearts so that we can keep the system intact. Just like the warriors of Babylon fell into the laps of the temple priestesses, or the fragmented Osiris whose body is broken before the loving devotion of Isis restores him. We are all in a sense carrying the scars of the sacrificed masculine. The sacrifice becomes holy when it has meaning and purpose. When the sacrifice of our health and joy and art and happiness is just to make barely enough money to pay our rent and groceries and health insurance if we're lucky enough to have health insurance so that a few people can be insanely wealthy, that is not the kind of restorative meaning that makes our sacrifice holy. We require depth and devotion of the loving internal feminine to help us find our way back to wholeness. On this summer solstice, as we are celebrating with picnics and bonfires and flower wreaths and honey cakes, as we remember the sacrifices of the grain king, of the sun god, of the wise and loving emperor, may we remember that Odin derived his strength from the love of Freya, and Jesus derived his strength from the attentiveness of Mary, and Osiris offered his promise of resurrection through the devotion of Isis. The powerfully initiated and wise masculine is always balanced by the loving and sacred feminine. And the feminine is protected, provided for, encouraged, and fortified by the balanced and sacrificial masculine. These forces work within each of us, regardless of our biological sex or gender. Where in your life do you need to fall into the lap of a temple priestess? Where in your life do you need to make meaning so your sacrifices can be holy? 
on this high Sabbath of Litha, where we revel in the power of the sun. May you feel the warmth and the possibility of wholeness when meaningful sacrifice is balanced with deep love and tending. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook at The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me, and it's time to come back to life.